0: Hello friends, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr and you're listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in surfing, snowboarding, skateboarding and other related endeavours such as climbing, skiing and all that stuff. Thanks for listening to this episode, I hope you enjoy it. This one has been a fair while coming and is a conversation I enjoyed very much indeed. It's my chat with Neil McDonald, journalist, archivist curator, you're gonna hear those last two words a lot in this conversation, author, and a man obsessed with the intricacies and stories of skateboarding history to a frankly awe-inspiring degree. Now, Neil runs a very entertaining and important, if you ask me, Instagram account called Science Versus Life, which in its simplest terms sees him, as he puts it in his bio, upload scans from my skateboarding magazines. But if you'll forgive a rather more grandiose comparison, and if you're a regular, you probably expect that type of thing from me. That's a little bit like describing Capability Brown as a gardener or Edmund Gibbon as somebody who's quite interested in the history of Rome. Um, I make these highfalutin comparisons intentionally because Neil's reverent take on the power skate history and his view that it is extremely important that we shine a light on these lost pre-digital corners of our shared heritage is really important, and if you ask me, does put him more on a par with a curator, or indeed even a historian? Let's go there. It's why I kept using the word archivist during our conversation, because to me, and I suspect you, if you listen to this episode, or if you're into my stuff generally, or if you're into what Neil does, this stuff matters. It's important, like any history is important, it's how we define ourselves as a culture and how we remember the importance of the things that went before. Just because it's skateboarding doesn't make it any less important than the history of, say, horticulture. I am serious about that. Um, if you're a regular listener to the show, you may recall an episode I did a couple of years ago with surf journalist Matt Warshaw. Now, that um, episode was much parodied by a few listeners because I used phrases like Sisyphean, Quixotic to describe Matt's similarly awesome and, well, Quixotic attempt to capture the entire history of surf history through his Encyclopedia of Surfing website, not least by my pals Ben Mundy and Paul Evans in their It's Not the Length podcast for Wavelength in which they pretty much dedicated an entire episode to taking the piss out of that episode and my said wordiness. But here's the thing, I know this is going on a bit now. If you're a newcomer, you might get used to this if you stick around. Here's the thing, I did that on purpose. Firstly, because it amuses me to use words like that every now and again, and I've said before, it's my podcast and therefore my rules. But secondly, because I think those words and phrases completely legitimate ways of describing what visionaries like Matt and Neil are doing. With Science vs Life and his forthcoming book documenting the history of UK skateboarding up until the year 2002, Neil is doing nothing less than trying to preserve and present the pre-digital history of skateboarding and by extension, as we discussed, youth culture in this country. As you might imagine, If you've listened to my podcast for a while, such a mission is right up my boulevard and does, I would humbly suggest, completely justify the use of words like archivist, historian, curator, quixotic, Sisyphean, blah, blah, blah. To describe it, I'll be back at the end for more hand-on-chin musings, but in the meantime, here's me and Neil. Enjoy. Hello, Hello. yeah, there we go. No, I was just saying. You, I can see because, firstly, can I just ask, are we going to break the fourth wall about the fact that we did, we had, uh, (laughs) we had round one? Because I always quite like that. I always quite like the kind of referential stuff. Yeah,
1: um, well, that's up to you. I am a guest in your, in your world, so yeah, you can call that. I just, I thought that first one was just terrible like I, I was listening to myself just thinking what are you talking about that's not like <laughs> that's that's like maybe part of it but it's like come on um as i say the first one of these that i've done like i i've interviewed people for years and years and it's always just with the awareness that you can tidy up you will tidy up i always i'm always Clear to people that this isn't live, it's not even a podcast. So if you want to change your mind, like we can go back, you just say whatever you like, and then you can read it and take bits out or add bits and whatnot. And it's a it's a thing that you can kind of work on together. Although, with that said, it's so rare that anybody does go back and forward. Most people are just like, Well, yeah, it'll be fine. That's it.
0: Yeah people definitely do find the the because i don't edit them because i remember because you when when we were chatting you're like oh you know you can give it an edit and i was i didn't actually mention that i don't edit because <laughs> i thought i don't think that's going to help if i say that um, <laughs> yeah
1: totally that's not true because it and it's is. funny
0: because i was actually reading a thing the other day because it's, it's such a it's become like such a big industry podcasting mm-hmm. so it's like um even in the five years that i've been doing it so there's like uh there's like agencies now that that just exist to like help people produce podcasts and they try to sell their wares to businesses and stuff so I, you know as as is the modern way like i got served one of those on my feed the other day which was um like how like advice on how to make your podcast better and i was like ah cool i'll give that a read um and it was like you must edit furiously and I was like oops (laughs) failed failed at the first hurdle there because I definitely don't do that
1: yeah and there's so many things that like that that might apply in the you know real world that just don't suit skateboarding then it's extended family of of activities it's like these you know these are not people who necessarily are going to laboriously think you could overly consider how they're presented it's I guess if maybe if you're doing a a meditation podcast or some kind of self-help series then everything has to be diamond sharp and exactly perfect but then once you start dismantling and rearranging a real conversation is does that defeat the point
0: yeah and it's like where does it end I mean the first the first few I did yeah like I say five years ago like I did I did like go in painstakingly remove all the you know all my little vocal ticks, like well there's one like um and Mm. like I truncated got rid of spaces like dead dead space and all that and it took fucking ages and then I just was like I don't think anyone actually cares about this really um and if you do then you can just skip it can't you
1: well that's it and that This is how people speak. And the way that people speak when you write it down, it doesn't always read properly. I mean, if somebody is saying like, or do you know what I mean, all the time, you can leave some of these in so that whoever's reading it can get get can gauge, impression, yeah. Yeah, of how this person speaks. But you, it doesn't need to be in every single time, and it shouldn't be removed completely. So stuff like that, I find that I do need to pay attention to. Obviously yeah. it's different, it's written down, but and these these ticks aren't 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 as noticeable in real conversation because when like one thing I've really noticed that for the book I'm typing up all these interviews and it's when the person I'm speaking to will quote or will will recount something that's been said to them. So they'll be like, well Matt was like this or Matt was like and then Matt's like and that's how we talk as yeah humans and it's fine it makes sense but then when you see it written down it's like it kind of sometimes it can look clumsy
0: yeah there's it's really there's there's actually really interesting studies on it isn't there like how your brain get like is so adept at filtering those things out when it when you hear speech basically and and just discerning the 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 concise message that's being spoken about like verbally you just do that as a that's just a skill you learn as a human isn't it but yeah, it's so funny that because I was interviewed for White Lines to Snowboard my a couple of weeks ago. Well, I think it was like last week and they kind of left loads of those ticks in of mine mm-hmm. uh, in the transcription. And it was quite funny because I, I was reading it and I was like, well, that's obviously how I speak, but it's, it's cause I do a lot of pruning. I think you probably, I've read your interviews that you do as well. And I think you do the same. I think you try and just from, just from what I can see, I think we have quite a similar approach. Like what I try and do is kind of what you're talking about, like make it clear, obviously get rid of as much of it as can, but also like leave those things that, that shows someone's personality and mode of talking essentially. And you try and find that balance, don't you? When you transcribe something in the In the written format, so to 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 see this interview with me where they just really not done that, which I didn't mind at all, but it was definitely quite disconcerting because I was like, "Oh yeah, that is that is how I speak, and I sound like a bit of a fuckwit."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe whoever typed that up gets paid by the word. Maybe it was important to have as many likes and ums and as and you know what I means in there. No, I quite liked it
0: though because I do think it hasn't it has an honesty, doesn't it? Which is again to and to bring it back to what why I don't edit editorially. It's a bit like with the book, as we'll get into that you're doing. You just have to make those editorial decisions, don't you? You know, you have to kind of, you have to sort of plant your flag. And when I did this, I decided to l- let it unfold and capture that. Cause I felt that was, well, two reasons I thought it was more honest and also I just couldn't be fucked with the editing <laughs> to that degree. But if I'm being honest um, and then actually can't remember what the second reason why, why i decided oh no the other reason was what i was going to say is um i decided not to be like paxman do you know what i mean mm. i decided like not to not to to try and be more of a blank canvas for people to sort of just be themselves which occasionally has got me into trouble when i've had guests on who've espoused quite problematic views that i then haven't challenged because people have been upset about that which i understand
1: But then, is it your problem to call it out, or is it your, you know, is is it good that you're putting these people in a position where they can, you know, you're giving them enough rope? I mean, should you say, "Oh, I've got to stop you there," because this is blatantly outrageous, or surely you, giving these people, the platform to say this and then putting it up is you doing your job perfectly?
0: Well, I mean, it like I say, it was just it was a deliberate editorial decision when it comes down to it, because you do, you you just have to. Choose a stance, don't you? And that, that's that's. I'm I'm very interested in that in the book that you're working on because, um, you know we've we've chatted in the past about like the approach that you're taking to the book, and I I'm daunted for you. Let's Thank put it that you. way. Yeah, <laughs> so so let's quickly let's quickly start there. So if people who who aren't familiar with what you're up to and we'll get into like the you know the whole science versus life life insta and 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 the archiving and curating skate history aspects of what you do but currently you're engaged in an absolute head fuck of a project which is if i'm correct the history of british skateboarding from what the mid 80s to the early early 2000s is that about right
1: yeah that's about right 1987 to 2002 um i think well, I thought this about a year ago when I started figuring it all out and I still think that. So it's probably what I'm going to stick with. 1987 kind of when street skating was starting to come in, when US videos were becoming more accessible to, to, to us here in the UK. Back to the Future had been out the year before, so skateboarding was really kind of expanding and changing. And by 2002, it was doing that less so it, uh, it was large it, online and things had kind of boiled down to fairly forgettable companies becoming
0: more homogenized would you say yeah and totally, yeah.
1: Um, it was big companies were involved not that that's necessarily a bad thing at all but when it's the when the it's the snickers sprite sega Super extreme motocross skateboard festival things get a bit tedious and yeah yeah I mean I I feel that photo photos from can I just can I just you stop
0: could, can I just stop you there quickly because that's uh, sorry to, I'm so sorry to interrupt you because uh, that's another thing that everyone fucking hates listening to this but that is such an interesting point that you make I did want to um delve into a bit so you you because obviously that topic, the homogenization of action sports for want of a less shitty phrase and skate, you know, you're talking about the point when the mainstream comes in, co-ops it and it starts to lose its, you know, the, the it gets diluted. Let's just put it that way. So you, you're, you're, you're dating
1: that to 2002. That's quite specific. Yeah. Um, it's, I think the, I mean, the video game had been out for, few years couple of years by then um but just because skateboarding was becoming more yeah more commercial more homogenized it was becoming a regular thing it was becoming normal to people it was getting super popular you could buy completes in sports shops round about then there's if you look at the magazines obviously Transworld you could you know you could stop a bus with a copy of (laughs) Transworld from then and half of that era yeah it's (laughs) just like every you know all all these new shoe companies like new everything new board companies coming out with a full team of dudes you've never heard of just everybody trying to do their thing it's like it was almost like the 90s just being completely mashed up and people trying to evolve skateboarding with what was there rather than just looking forward and doing something original it was just it became not a parody of itself but it became like Lots of the shitty parts of it became more visible, maybe. I don't know. It was just lots of indoor parks, lots of boring contests. Tours would be going around all the indoor parks. It was just, you know, not knocking skateboarding in, in any way. But in terms of what I think people want to read about and in terms of what has gone underreported, I think that takes us up to pretty much 2002
0: yeah i mean there's a really interesting parallel in snowboarding some friends of mine and i've definitely mentioned this to you before some friends of mine made a, f- a documentary about the history of snowboarding this is kind of why i asked that question earlier it's going to shut the door because this is can you hear the drill <laughs> this is i can't but this yeah, is sh- the problem with the shed um, some some friends of mine made uh, a documentary about the history of snowboarding which was really great piece of work, interesting enough paid for by an energy drink. Um, So, you know, use some of that dollar to kind of create an interesting project. And I watched that and they, like the director of that is actually quite a famous director now. He's like won Oscars and made really renowned documentaries. And um, so it's a great piece of work, you know, but when I was watching it, I, what I found was it, it, as soon as you get to the year 2000, it just gets really boring. Hmm. because you you like it just becomes a, a mainstream sporting story really you know you start talking about like the Olympics you start talking about it's just a sport it's just another sport whereas up, up until that point you've got the kind of mythology you've got the the the, 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 the evolution the, the seed of what what it became and how hmm. these and and, you, and you're also talking about individuals, Especially early on, aren't you talking about pioneers? You're talking about th- those kind of universal stories of people that grabbed it by the scruff of the neck and, you know, dragged it into the future kind of thing.
1: The the things that took place pre 2002 stand out. I think. I mean, everybody will have their favourite video part or video or issue of a magazine from. You know, the nineties, people of a certain age will be able to identify that. But after that, it everything does just mix up. And I wondered if it was just particular to my age group, I guess. Um but the more I've thought about it, the more I've asked around, it just it doesn't seem to be the case. I mean nothing. I mean, I'm probably totally wrong. There's going to be something major, but like, as far as I can think right now, nothing massive happened in 2006. You know, there was nothing that changed skateboarding in 2006. There might have been, there's probably always some video that's completely slipped my mind. But for every year from 87, I think, to 2002, there's the video, the magazine interview, you know, the event, the tricks, or something for each the shoe for each yeah. year absolutely stands out and altered ever so slightly the way skateboarding was going but then by 2002 it kind of settled in almost said settled into a rut but it settled into being fairly just samey yeah homogenized and i think it took a while for that to to change again obviously 2009 palace changed things massively but yeah it feels to me there's a bit of dead air there in skateboarding so that's a natural cutoff point because obviously i know you know let's be honest as
0: well you need to find that because it's
1: such a sprawling potential it can't like- go on forever i couldn't be like you know constantly adding to the end of this book especially because all that information is pretty freely available yeah now it's it's been noted like from People sticking videos up on their, on their MySpace to everything that we have now. like It was so much easier to share from about 2002 onwards. Pre that time, there's so much missed because it wasn't, it was never noted on the internet and the magazines were only monthly with 411, with on, things like digital, obviously. But generally, skateboard media was limiting what we were, what we were privy to. And so much happened. That I think it's vital that these stories are shared these photographs these stories are are, are got and put put out there all the stuff that we missed at the time do you think that that missed as you describe it um
0: which is a really lovely image like do you think that well obviously that 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 kind of is what drives the mythology that we're talking about you know do you think that's the romance of it the fact because i often think when i've had this conversation with a I've had this conversation with Ben Powell, I think, and I definitely had this conversation with Pete Helicar last time I had a chat to him. We were talking about like, yeah, on the one hand, that that mystique, the rarity of it, gave it this power and romance, and it's obviously, you know, something that's deeply affected your relationship with my relationship with it, everyone of that generation's relationship with it. But on the other hand, you know, when I was fifteen, if someone had to give me a phone and said like you can watch every single skate clip in the world on this i'd have been pretty hyped <laughs>
1: mm. yeah you would never have seen me again it's...
0: do you think do you think there is you've obviously thought about this but is part of this like the natural nostalgia of middle-aged men <laughs> towards I... towards their like um you, you, you know you, you know you know the question
1: it's an obvious one yeah i think um it's more than that it's not just us looking back thinking you know us as a collective as a pretty large demographic now of these people who never kind of fell out of skateboarding these people who were there to witness the 90s to witness all these changes and now you're generally still dress the same still do the same stuff still listen to the same music might be jobs and kids and mortgages involved but i think we are the we are the you know, I guess there's handfuls of dudes in their 50s, obviously, that have carried on their kind of like concrete park era type of skating. But for the people in the 90s who are still around, I don't think it's, uh, and there's loads of us, obviously, I don't think it's overly romanticizing it. I think it is just a genuine understanding that we were there, we were witness to these incredibly important times in skateboarding when month month by month the magazines would look different every new video would have new stuff in it it wouldn't just be people doing things slightly different way it wouldn't be, I mean now every new video has got completely new stuff in it and it's outstanding it's like, this is the best thing for skateboarding surely but when we were seeing things change yeah changing by the month back then it's I don't think it's unreasonable to romanticize it slightly but be wanting to share these moments wanting to share these stories and it's not something like how George Martin recorded some Beatles album it's not kind of boring technical details for nerds it's
0: (laughs) it reminds me of the big train sketch do you know the big train do you know the big train sketch about George Martin that's so funny where he's like you know in in palestine you know like uh, negotiating the release of some hostage and he's and he's like think about george is like when <laughs> you know like those, right. those like that the,
1: like that strain of nostalgia that you talk yeah yeah about, yeah, yeah. Like- no, it's, exactly i mean it's people will want to be yeah willfully nostalgic but it's yeah it's just it's not like that's the best time because this is the golden era for so many people and, 2003, four, five, six would be the golden era for plenty of people. Yeah. But I think, kind of, culturally, in a much broader sense, like globally, that's, that's the years that really, those are the years that really kind of brought us to where we are now. And yeah, I think it's so noticeable in so much of what happens now. And I don't mean, teenagers wearing polar big boy jeans but it's like it's su- there's just such a story there that needs to be told and so many people who didn't have an opportunity to tell their part of the story at the time so many photos that went unpublished and so many people who went uninterviewed for yeah. whatever reason that we can now through you know the joys of Instagram we can just get in touch with them we can call them up we can do something like this we can just see them on our screen and ask them those questions now finally
0: yeah no i mean that's obviously a, a, a key point can you definitely not hear that it's actually an angle grinder i've realized that's good not sorry so. fina fina you're gonna have to get the old eq out on this one i think um yeah i mean that comes to, you know that's the archivist in you isn't it as well that w- which which is really fascinating to me but just on this point though i i was actually thinking about the, 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 this this morning this kind of like the power of like nostalgia and culture Cause I was listening to the radio this morning as I was driving and they played that tune, break my stride by Matthew Wilder. And I was, it's like a cheesy eighties pop hit and I was listening to it and I was like, realize I knew all the words and you know, to my knowledge, I'd not actually heard, I couldn't even remember when I heard the song. So it's that thing that you get as a kid of the eighties where like you just absorbed mainstream culture pretty much by osmosis didn't you because you know you had four tv channels you just listened to a few things on the radio like we didn't very obvious point we didn't have the breadth of media so you just basically were bombarded with base like marketing really culture as marketing and i'm not i'm not obviously trying to be some kind of i that's just a, i think that's a perfectly uncontroversial point you know like as a kid that is that was the culture that you heard and then you kind of got you strayed from that by finding something like skateboarding or maybe your sister's record collection or whatever it was, like or the cool kid around town who or the kid at school and that that you had to you did have to work hard to find a counterculture that 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 you identified with. Right. And and that and that in in your case with skateboarding, in my case with skateboarding and snowboarding Music as well, huge for me, um you know, rave obviously massive fa- famous example, like all like hip hop, like all these things that have this power that we still you know and I was thinking I was just sort of thinking as I was driving, I was like, that's kind of the power of it, isn't it, because you did and i I'm not saying it's bad now that it's easier to find that stuff at all because, like I say, I think there's so much positivity about that, but that is kind of the power of it, isn't it, you know, like the, the when you found something like skateboarding it gave you a sense of identity because it wasn't the thing that you were it wasn't fucking break my stride by matthew wilder that you were hearing on the radio every morning when your mum was getting you ready for school you know like and, and, suddenly, then th- and then 30 years later i can still fucking remember all the
1: words like it's you know yeah I mean? it's, it's something that you were just forced into the, yeah as you say absorbed by <laughs> osmosis it's like this is the basically the one radio station that you can get. So therefore that's what music is. These four channels, this is what TV and movies are until your family maybe get a, a VCR for the house or something. It's and now, of course, you know, everybody's got the entire history of everything, of humanity in their in their pocket. But who is exploring there? You know, there's there's probably plenty of people out there plenty of people who weren't there for these events that are now massive experts on it which is totally great but then generally it seems that there's just too much and where do you begin and there's no i spoke to i spoke to cheryl garrett for the book editor of oh yeah the, the face. face from yeah well throughout the rave years and the Britpop pop years so <laughs> so would she have added you know, was she been, been gavin hills she been cult- gavin hills anyway but Oh, would she have been Gavin Hill's editor? It, yes, yes, you broke up there. That was precisely why I spoke to her. Yeah, after after Fat Gavin went to write for the Face under under Cheryl, but she was saying that the one thing that she thinks ought to exist and can't understand why it doesn't exist. Um, so, if anybody listening feels like doing this, I think it's a great idea as well. Just some kind of aggregator digital aggregator for the things that you like i mean that doesn't really exist i mean i want to log on somewhere and see yeah there's the, my suggested news feeds my suggested this and that but i just want to know about the skateboarding the skateboarders the filmers and the photographers that i'm interested in the musicians that i'm interested in the journalists that i'm interested in i want to have all this in one place like some kind of i mean i don't know about rss feeds or anything like that it might be more your kind of thing but it just seems that for all this information that exists in the world it still is quite hard like it still takes a bit of effort to and as you know it should everything good should be worked for probably but it just seems odd that yeah there is no kind of one portal where you can where it can learn all about you and give you this information the way that it can with purchases the way that it can with you know everything else like the way that the things that we log into know how we're feeling and know what we're thinking enough to suggest what we might want for dinner that night or what music we might want to listen to but it doesn't give us anything on a kind of more personal level beyond that maybe it's because it's going to be so difficult to monetize that nobody is going to bother but yeah I mean that feels like something that really ought to exist by now which as far yeah. as I can tell doesn't
0: well it's funny that isn't it because the algorithm is obviously supposed to do that but it's sometimes so hilariously off isn't it you know like the well Ben Powell's got that brilliant yeah, best on, example on running stories gag hasn't he um where he just reposts all the wildly inappropriate adverts he's getting fed um which is but then it, on the other hand you, that's kind of your job isn't it you know as an archivist to be the person to you know like with the work you're doing you're assuming that role of of the filter in a way really in aren't it, you
1: in uh in this microcosm of the world to this like skateboarding part of it yeah I, I'm one of the people who does that I suppose and it's while there's never a picture that I really like that I would not post because I wouldn't have thought it would go down well it definitely does help me decide what to post based on things that i know that people definitely like i tend to only post thinking about maybe 10 or a dozen people like it's kind of aimed at these particular people um just people i know really um so it's not like Trying to find the biggest photo every time, not not trying to find the rarest, most bangingest, most beautifully shot photo every time. It's it's always just like things that I think people should see, based yeah. on based on the, you know how how I know people and how well things are enjoyed or things have been enjoyed previously.
0: Yeah, it's funny well, I, that- I mean,
1: stuff I'll post that I'll know that I know will just be, you know. People in the States won't care. you know no, nobody's gonna share it or whatever, but it's so important that this thing lives there that this thing gets out and is, is is exists digitally. I mean, when I started the Tumblr in the first place years ago, it was only really so that I could have these things on records. like there was the, the when South Bank was first under threat, there was a really good Gavin Hills Vernon Adams article about that in reading and Destroy and the Simon Evans interview, of course. So I wanted these things so that I could just look look at them on my computer without having to d- dig out the magazine. Then it just, yeah, progressed. But it's never about trying to, I don't know, impress people. It's just way more about, like, here's something relevant that you should know about. You don't need to like it, but as long as you know that this exists.
0: Yeah, well, this is this is why I, I do think of what you... I do think of you as an archivist, like as a curator, like in, in the clap, but in the, in the legitimate sense that, that any, you know, like museum curator is essentially curating a vision of a culture. You know, if you, if you, if you're the, if you're the, I don't know, I don't know a lot about this. It's probably a shonky old analogy, but if you're at the British Museum and you're plan an exhibition about fucking ancient Sumeria, you know, you, you, you try to convey an impression of what that is, aren't you to the, mm. to the, and you try to, you try to like communicate why it's important. What what the stories of that civilization, you know, X, Y, Z, and that, that's what you're doing. And it, it, it sounds a bit highfalutin to make that comparison, but I would completely stand by that comparison. I think that is completely legitimate. And what I, what I get when we have talked about this stuff is the sense of mission. That you have about it as in like it you know like you say it's not it, it's driven purely by like this shit needs to be seen you know like you you mentioned earlier about the criteria for inclusion including things in the book and that you know the the, the nostalgia part we were talking about and you know you like yeah but at the end of the day now we've got a, we've got a chance to show you know talk about like jamie blair or jimmy boys or like whoever it is is I'm sure you've got hundreds of people like that that you're going to, you're going to feature in the book, but you know, the people that, yeah, they got a bit of a platform, but they didn't, they didn't, you know, now you can do that. So it's that sense of
1: mission that seems to be the thread through all the work that you've done. Um on that point as well, it's, these are people in many cases who were too busy or were not interested in speaking up or telling their story at the time. Like most people skateboarding don't think that there's any reason why they should be interviewed that was certainly the case when they were 20 years younger when they were actively skateboarding 25 years younger 30 years younger but now i think now that now that people have you know possibly not skateboarding or not skateboarding as much as they did when they were pro in the 90s um they can now look back and reflect and realize that god yeah that was that was that was a trip. I've, I've got things to say. I've got, you know, and you're really seeing it coming out of people now, like people thinking, you know, the amount of times I've heard even in like the year or so that I've been start, I've started doing this, the amount of times people have said, I've never thought about that before. So nobody's asked me that before. It's like, right, well, think about it now. Like, let's hear it cause it's relevant now. You know, it's not that the questions are particularly you know, deliberately aligned with this modern world it's all about what happened and why it happened and who was involved at the time but yeah it's people now with yes yeah, it's, it's i guess it's hindsight that like people can now retrospectively focus on what they did in a way that these things might have been a bit blurred at the time was the carl shipman one, one
0: of yours the slam article mm-hmm. yeah
1: yeah see that, that that that
0: really sang out in in that let's in, say
1: carl's dc tour shirt oh I sorry behind I, thought mean me the wall. I, th- I thought it was a signal issue <laughs> No, okay, <I'm> it <laughs> the
0: wall. yeah yeah but that that really you see the, the way you just described that that really came across in that interview with carl like like that sense of somebody genuinely taking stock of what they did and also like being a bit like yeah actually that was pretty significant
1: what i did yeah carl is so unique i mean the fact that he talks about skateboarding now i think is just because he had such a good time he met so many friends through skateboarding and he's still so down for modern skateboarding he doesn't really have time to skate he's got his scaffolding business he's got his kids his grandkids um he's got you know he's got a lot going on but he was always one where when I would post the picture, somebody, at least one person is going to say, where's that guy now? What's Carl up to? You know, what happened to that dude? And some of us in the UK, you know, we knew or we'd a fair idea, but thinking about it in the States, like he just probably just disappeared. Um, As it happened, he wanted to live back in workshop really with his wife, Katrina, and their family. Um, Visa, excuse me, visa issues didn't help, but they certainly helped me because decision to come back home and abandon the industry a lot easier and that's I think, I think that's so respectable in a world where everybody's like oh yeah I still skate you know I'm, I'm I'm still down I'm still like you know the guy I used to be and he's just like yeah whatever like i <laughs> scaffolding and I'd go for a pint with my mates and play with my kids it's like <laughs> but he's just so open about everything that happened and that's pretty It's not unique in people of his age, but it was certainly nothing like what you would have heard in interviews that ran at the time, which I think is why these retrospective interviews are so much more important rather than just taking bits from interviews at the time and running it all together. It's like that's not necessarily even true. You know, the person might have answered that question the way that they thought was the best answer, but now as adult men, they can really clear these things up and that's what going for here as well
0: well I imagine I I mean fucking hell I don't know know about you but if I think back to what I was like at 20 (laughs) what I'm like now is literally like different not even a different person like different fucking species like yeah
1: totally and the culture around us at that time it was like it wasn't maybe cool to be interesting it wasn't cool to be kind of profound or to romanticize things but now that's unavoidable you know these these feelings are real now it's like seeing people really kind of taking themselves back and racking their brain and like really thinking like god yeah you know that that was a thing you know that did that that was important and it's that's bound to come across in the book it's um it's making it a lot of fun that side of things. Like people really been able to sort of comment on themselves. It's like who's the best person to talk about nineties Neil Irwin? It's like probably twenty twenty two Neil Irwin. Yeah. You know, and sure enough, it's absolutely. You know, it's that's 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 a big part of it.
0: Yeah. So I just want to briefly ask you about Gavin Hills because you are the only. I talked to Tim about him. Um, but you're really the only person I've ever who's clearly was as I- impacted by him as much as I was that I've spoken to really. And I guess thinking back, you just made a really interesting point, which was you said like, it wasn't really cool to be interesting or romanticize. And I think one of the thing, I mean, I kind of aspired to be like Gavin Hills. Mm. Like, you know, I was like quite a bookish kid and wanted to be a writer and wanted to be a journalist. And when I saw this guy, who like had written for read and destroy and then got the gig at the face and was going to like Bosnia and, you know, writing about the rave scene and, and then, and then, and then fucking died. Like, you know, it, it really affected me. Um, it had, a, and it, it really was like, yeah, I kind of want to be like that guy, you know, I want to do that. So what is that? Because he's he's a would you, he's quite a forgotten figure, I think, isn't he? These days, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't hear him mentioned much.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's like geeks like me and you, and probably Powell, and you know, like I mean, he's, he was he was known, wasn't he? But obviously, you've made the call to sort of tell his story and you know, bringing Cheryl Garrett in, and as you described, to to to, to sort of again like. Give him his due. I'm assuming. So why why is he su- such a significant character to you? Like
1: why is he an important part of the story you try to tell? I have never thought about putting that into words. It I guess it just seemed obvious to me um, when when I was or well, when he first started appearing in Read and Destroy, like 1987, I think 87 onwards. I his voice was so much more relatable than then when it would just be the photographer telling the story the photographer that's been around professional skateboarders a million times or been around these events a million times or somebody that's you know a really good skateboarder it's kind of like well this person is cool anyway cool anyway so therefore what they're writing must be good okay i'll try and get my head around this and adapt to this their their style of writing but that's wasn't True, it turned out you know that that's not the case like professional skateboarders are not necessarily great at writing. photographers are not all necessarily great at writing, although the ones that Tim got in to do do that generally were but Gavin had the the same worries and insecurities and issues that the rest of us teenagers had. At the time, and he was he was talking about them. It was like, right, Read and Destroy, the coolest thing, every ad, every page, every bit of layout. This is just this shit. Everything about this is what I want to be like. And then you've got this guy who's talking to you on your own level as well. And amongst all this, you know, this cool shit from South Bank or whatever. And it was, I think it was pretty brave, brave having that in a skateboard magazine. It's, other than the kind of soul-searching pieces in maybe sort of early trans worlds there wasn't a lot of that that was all you know it was very male it was skate destroy it was let's fuck shit up and you know let's you know if, if, if you're feeling down you should just go skate go shredding and like that's just like you know, it's great that it does work for some people but fucking if i'm feeling shit the last thing i do is go skateboarding you know it's noisy it's it was hard you know you're going to probably hurt yourself it's just like draws attention to you it's just like you know you don't it's skateboarding the act of skateboarding is not necessarily the solution to to your problems basically and gavin being not a very good skateboarder put that across really well like there's you made it clear there was so much more to life as a skateboarder than just skateboarding it wasn't like yeah fuck skateboarding you should get into drugs and football and girls it was It was just this very kind of clear notion that there's more to people. There's more to people. There's more going on in people's minds than what they're maybe telling you. There's more to the world than what you can see. Um, But even the way that he, the, the, the way that he made those articles, he would go to a war zone and rather than go and wait in the press tent or wait for his tour guide, he would just go up and start speaking to somebody outside he would go and give somebody a cigarette and start talking to them he would start talking to them about football or music and i think that was why he was able to go on and do such incredible things with with the face or with the observer or you know, anywhere the idler um he could speak to people on their level mm. and in a world of sort of insecure young men that was pretty unique i think yeah uh,
0: yeah i, I mean you, you you summed it up brilliantly really because you know you said you're not really put into words i i haven't really i haven't thought about him for years until you mentioned his name but i should that that was, the, that was that. the significance for me as you've just described you just articulated it really well get it
1: arranged a a reissue of Bliss to be Alive, the book that she put together of Gavin's writing which had been pretty much impossible to get for a long long time so yeah anybody now can buy Bliss to be Alive, the writings of Gavin Hills edited by Cheryl Garrett on Amazon it's just it's, th- this new version is not beautiful but it's a big thick book full of Gavin Hills writing across all those magazines
0: yeah i'm gonna get that yeah i mean the other the other sort of tragedy about gavin is he's just such a great what if isn't he because if you look at his peers miranda sawyer like stuart McConey, like people like that steve Lamack, even i mean i know they weren't like in the same but they were you know they were they were definitely his peers And look at them now like they're basically they're running british alternative culture aren't they those people you know gavin
1: twenty when he died i was working on a tv show with miranda so gavin would have been into tv and there's just no reason why he would not have been like fucking you know a-list now if he wanted to because when he won that amnesty international award that was the first time he declared himself a journalist he didn't ever it's interesting you saying how you wanted to be like him you wanted to be a journalist i wanted to be like him but i didn't Kind of think what he was doing was journalism because it was in skateboard magazines. It was almost like this is quality, high end stuff. This is almost journalism, but it's in a skateboard <laughs> magazine, so, so it's it's for me. You know, this is aimed at people like me, it's like fourteen year old boys or whatever. So, you know, it can't be. But well, of course, it, it was. It. It. But Gavin never acknowledged himself as journalist until he got that award. When he, by all accounts, fairly grudgingly accepted that he was a journalist.
0: Well, that's so funny because you know, for me, it seems so unobtainable, you know, somebody that used to like religiously read the face again, because it was one of those pillars of alternative culture that we talk about, we talked about, you know, like I used to read his stuff and I, you know, I did want to be a journalist from from a young age really. So, and I was always looking at like, well, if he can do it. And I sort of spoke to Tim Layton Boyce about this. And one of the funny things that he said was, because I was saying to him, you know, what a basically fanboy I was. And, and he's like, You just sent me an article. I would have printed it.
1: Amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I was yeah, like,
0: awesome. I was like, fucking hell. I wouldn't have dared, you know, like, because it seemed unobtainable. And he was like, The truth
1: is, we were fucking scrabbling around, <laughs> we wouldn't have it's- taken anything it's crazy now for us like in in hindsight to look back at that magazine and think how cool it was that they had these scenes these like local scenes it'd be a car park in the middle of nowhere on a sunday afternoon when everything was shut on a sunday as well as radlands or as well as south bank but wait a minute yeah that is you know that scene was just like mine and that's why it was so inspiring and relatable that 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 magazine was so egalitarian in that way that it just would include as many people as wanted to be involved with it as as possible i think that's why it's it's adored the way that it is now especially
0: yeah well i mean that leads nicely to a question about the book because you quite you, you you know you again you 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 honed in there on one of the really brilliant aspects of of this 80s and 90s skate culture you, you mentioned like you know the car park session alongside Radlands, and and you know we were talking about like how scenes back then whether it's snowboarding skateboarding surfing like you know those early cultural mythology years or whatever are driven by individuals are driven by scenes you can literally pinpoint like people and and events and time you know and uh, like you say like you know the, the 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 liverpool boys go to clan dudno where jeff rally all is over the shopping trolley like that that is that is like a that's something that stands out but that was literally like probably them lot go to clan dudno for the day yeah <laughs> so yeah, how but- so how do you so how do you as as someone who's trying to corral this like massive information where, where where are you deciding like what you can where to draw the line between the big ticket things like you know gons in london Mm -hmm. which ends up in video days which is clearly going to be in there versus like these much more parochial yet equally as significant events like where the fuck do you start you know
1: i know that's it i uh, that's something i'm glad you have mentioned because it is something that's a major part of the book is these little under recorded scenes these lesser acknowledged scenes but that's where i guess it comes down to what kind of i'm gonna to need to use the word content i don't want to just say stuff <laughs> stuff uh, what kind of yellow card i know man <laughs> oh, i'm sorry um what, what kind of shit i can get from from people in terms of photos and and stories um how relevant it's going to be to the big picture how much it ties into other things it's so far, everything is working out quite organically. Like, I mean, I was a couple of weeks ago, I think I spent some time in the Northeast. So, everybody that I spoke to there has got something to say about bingo. So, this has now obviously rest in peace. Like, this is now becoming, you know, the, the, the bingo part is now starting to form itself just as a result of interviewing all these other people for their own parts, and then getting down to the people who maybe weren't in the magazine so much, but knew Bingo really well. So that'll be going in. So it's everything just kind of is expanding from these central points so far. Um, things that have been noted in the magazines, generally I would like to touch upon in terms of scenes. Uh, right as much as possible i but yeah everything is coming out of each city and then the satellite towns and then then the satellite villages and then the ramp in a barn 20 miles down the road and then left you know this is all it's all just thankfully there's a lot of the people i've spoken to have been really quite enthusiastic about it and quite keen to share their stories and quite keen to put me in touch with people who've got the stories. Everybody in a scene kind of knows the knows what happened, knows knows what was interesting. knows of the events and the people and the the tricks that were done. Not that it's going to necessarily be about tricks getting done, but you know these are the 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 kind of bookmarks in the timeline of 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 the book. And they're they're all yeah, like it is kind of coming together quite organically that way and as much as possible i would prefer it to rather than me thinking right we need this big article about southrop and that's a bad example because southrop is going to be in it because the people from that scene went on and did interesting things and they've got lots of saying they were really good at taking photos and remembering things you know it's it's possibly going to come a time when i do turn up in a town and don't really know anybody and have to go into the shop and just get the guy in the shop to start ringing around people just to be sure that I'm not missing anything, uh, just to be sure that this isn't going to come out and there's going to be some amazing scene or, or some place that had an amazing scene at the time that is not be, that wasn't mentioned then, has not been mentioned now. Like This is the time to acknowledge all, all this other stuff. On. I mean, there's so little about Northern Ireland in the magazines, I guess it was just slightly too difficult to get to. But, you know, they had shops, they had companies, they had contests over there. It was, it was buzzing over there, but there's not a lot to read about it. Now, retrospectively, there's not a lot to, to find about Northern Ireland. So, you know, that's some, that's an example of something that will need extra work, I think, for me, for me. So you and you've made the decision to go chronologically, right? So to tell like a
0: linear story effectively rather than like a chapter about one scene
1: at a time. That's is that it. is that is that the plan? Yeah, because I, I think so because I think the things that happened chronologically affected skateboarding nationally. Anyway, you know, I think what we were doing in 1996 is pretty close to what you were doing in 1996, whereas if we were just doing it per scene, people probably would flick through bits that they didn't think they really care about. But I think having it chronologically, it just seems logical. It just seems to make the most sense because it's while the book is doesn't exist to discuss the evolution of skateboarding, particularly, it does make most sense to to view it in in that way. Um, each kind of main. Player, each individual who's got a big part in the story will have their big interview in it and they'll have all the other parts all kind of dotted throughout the rest of the timeline. I mean, like Ben Powell, you've mentioned that he kind of comes into the story maybe 92, 93 when he was working in Roller Snakes, then taking the money in the door at Wakefield. But then his sort of main interview should probably be 1996 when he took over the editorship of sidewalk the magazine had ran for a few months anyway with Horsley at the helm but then yeah Ben Powell's bit should be 96 even though he's a part of the full story so it's it makes more sense of his main interview there just use him as one of many many examples and then his other contributions throughout it as as necessary that took a bit of figuring out just wondering Ah, oh, what a mission
0: like honestly like i am don't like i said earlier i am daunted on your behalf thank you that, no, I that, appreciate that is Please that do is be. that
1: is that is such a mission to yeah to like fucking it's all i can do it's i quit my job to do this it's it's not evenings and weekends this is every waking hour every, know, every you know constantly like i stopped typing up an interview there to uh, to jump on this and that's great. And I'll be back to type that up and it, I'd, I will continue to do so into the night and then just like get, get as many trips booked in and as many people arranged to meet on these trips. And then, yeah, just building up all this stuff. Everybody so far has been, yeah, I mean, everybody's been super positive about it, but I am pleasantly delighted about the amount of photos that I'm seeing that I'm getting the amount of people who actually did take photos of these things of their scenes of the people who visited their scenes of themselves and their mates whether skateboarding or just chilling and looking good there's so far there's been a ton of that and that's what I really wanted because we weren't living in LA or SF, you know, it wasn't necessarily the world changingly best skateboarding that was going on here, but the people who were involved in it are just as interesting as the people who were kind of making up tricks at Embarcadero.
0: I mean, I was going to mention this photography because I've been lucky enough to see the Read and Destroy archive and it is
1: it's, it's fairly comprehensive, isn't it? <laughs> it's just, I mean, it's the stuff that ran in the magazine was the tip of the iceberg for what got shot at that time. I mean, I mean my God, honestly. But like that, that is, that's got to be the best example because Dan there has got so much as well as Tim's, he's got so many other people's material there. But uh, for instance we spoke to peter Tari, who shot all the photos for the m zone ads and he he was thinking about what he what he had that hadn't run in the mags and he's like yeah i think i think i've got about 50 shots of curtis mccann that nobody's seen it's like fuck i mean that could be a zine by itself that could be a photo wow. book, you know by monday and that would be a quality thing that anybody would want to own i, I would imagine surely yeah so yeah, just when when the magazines were not able to run, you know, thousands of photos every month. And if these guys are not just throwing everything up on Instagram, then let's get it all together in a way that people can see it.
0: So, have you got everyone that you that you want to get? Because there's some there's some names. You know, we mentioned Gavin. I'm thinking like Simon Evans. Um, I'm thinking. I mean, I'm from Manchester, so I'm thinking Femi Bucanola. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, but like, but Curtis, you mentioned. I mean, are you going to be able to get everyone?
1: I don't think I'm going to be able to get Curtis. I don't want to kind of prod people too much if they're not going to be into it. If they're just not, you know, if they're if they're over it and just don't want to talk. But Femi was another one. I was thinking it might not be so keen, but no, I think I think Femi. I've been told that Femi should be should be up for a chat i but yeah, Curtis so far seems to be the only person that's I'm possibly not going to be able to get at least a few lines from, which is a shame because he's I might be wrong, obviously, but um and I hope I am, but he is certainly the one person that has cropped up in more interviews with other people than anybody. I mean whether you were around him or not, if you appreciated early nineties UK or the progression of early nineties UK skateboarding and people looking good, then it's about Curtis. So there's gonna be so many people talking about Curtis. Um but yeah, possibly not necessarily Curtis himself. We shall see. Yeah.
0: So, you know, earlier when we were talking about the kind of culture, nostalgia, all that stuff earlier on in the conversation, it it kind of struck me that you've obviously got a criteria, you know, you mentioned a bit about like how you choose stuff to go on your Instagram as well. And, you know, so I'm just curious, really, can you, can you explain what it is like that you're trying to convey? Because obviously, you, you, you know, like whether it's the book, whether it's the Instagram, and if you listen, I implore you to check out the Instagram because it is such a brilliant capsule of what we're talking about. But, you know, obviously you, and I, I use the word filtered to describe your role and I've used the word archivist, I've used the word curator, you know, they're all, they're all like saying the same thing, these words, they're all like, you know, you being the arbiter essentially, which is, which is fine. You know, like I, I, I think that's a necessary cultural role, but what is it that you're looking for? Like, what are you, can you describe it? Is it, is it, or, cause obviously a lot of it, it's like it's going to be instincts and experience, but you know, maybe use a uh, shot. Yeah. Like what's a shot that you, that sums up what you do?
1: Right. Um, so I spent a, a stink of that, isn't it? <laughs> that's, it's, no, that's it's a really good one. I mean, it's, it's on one hand, if I could tell you what that was, I would have that, you know, Billion Instagram followers and wouldn't need to do anything.
0: you're not doing bad. You've got like forty thousand or something.
1: No, no, it's like thirty, thirty thousand or so. Um, so much of it. I mean, it's yeah. Ultimately, it genuinely does come down to pictures that I like. It's the could be a picture of somebody in doing something in Scotland and it's a spot that I know and like, or liked or skated at the time. And it's just important to me. And I want people to see that this thing once existed. So that'll go up and it'll, you know, take the hit on losing some followers over it. But then the photos that, I mean, most photos, somebody will say, and it's always great to see, but most photos, somebody will say, I had that one on my wall, or I used to stay at this one for hours. And of course you did because we had nothing else to put up in our walls and we had really nothing else to stare at for hours. If you've got this one one or two magazines, then these need to last you a month, so you you just know every word. It's like people will quote captions, which is great because these things really have just, you know, stuck in those teenage minds. Now they're middle aged minds that still remember exactly what what, you know, TLB had captioned that little picture as. 35 years ago i think that's great like so so many things that make a photo good make a photo worth posting on instagram i think um especially in front of this audience and shoes and clothes are a massive part of it um shoes and clothes were still are more than ever like a massive part of it for me um there could yeah if people can spot the jeans or recognize the shoes whether it's a classic pair of skate shoes or some obscure basketball shoe or something then that gets people hyped and it gets me hyped like seeing seeing other people spot these things are just like um like ghetto wear shorts is always one people love uh spotting ghetto wear shorts and rightly so because they were <laughs> cool as fuck and matt hensley um there are certain people that will always go down well because there are certain people who never had a bad photo. Certain spots that always get love, um, pun intended. I, seeing these spots change over the years, like South Bank the best example, seeing it looking all kind of shiny and grey in 1987 to seeing it now, you know, it just looks like a magic eye picture. It's seeing things differently, like board shapes i don't really need anybody else to point out when wheels are small but people are always <laughs> quite keen to
0: oh to, look at that 1992 everyone
1: <laughs> yeah hey hey look those wheels are small those wheels are like bearings yeah 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 that's it exactly. i think i had a set of 38 at one point <laughs> Damn, right. <laughs> uh, on an underworld element board that i snapped on the first day that i got it ha yeah Cla- classic 92 board construction uh, yeah. we had there's somebody at school i think it was friends with the techie teacher who could lathe down wheels but he still had these big wow. wide, these wide narrow wheels though and they're right. still all, all like yellow and the the kind of outside so it wasn't like lathing down wheels just made miniature wheels it just made much smaller big wheels <laughs> But you know you do what you can um yeah,
0: go on well, I was gonna say shoes and clothes is such an interesting point isn't it because I think like the Simon Evans interviews immediately sprang to mind then as that complete package of you know incredible skateboarder look, looked brilliant s- s- always you know I'm, I'm thinking of like, was it like an inward heel flip somewhere He had the beanie pulled down that's simon isn't it is that, is yeah
1: that... yeah uh, there's there's a front side double heel flip but kennington is that um, the one i'm thinking the, of like with, with the, the down, yeah. and then what are the shoes he had on you'll know i know you'll know this. he's got fila on in that picture uh but for much of the rest of it he's wearing gazelles he's wearing I... gazelles
0: isn't he and i remember like you know i remember like gazelles it was like what <laughs>
1: well i mean what a time that was it's like i'm sure there was something before questionable everybody says it was questionable that was the one that kind of introduced those shoes but i'm so sure we were wearing gazelles when that came out maybe not but yeah the fact that these things were five pounds like they could last a week but if you've got paper around and you're making you know 10 15 pounds a week then that's still like the main part of your outfit changing every week it was so good, but able to buy a different coloured pair of gazelles. They are only going to last a week. We weren't going fast enough. We're not jumping downstairs, so landing primo is not really a concern at the time, and the longevity of these things didn't matter because it was everything was progressing so quickly. It's like right, I'll you know I'll learn late shoveits in blue gazelles. But right, I'm over that now. I'm going to get a green pair to learn <laughs> underflips. It was just like everything was changing so much. Everything was changing, yeah, weekly in that. Case in that sense, um and culturally, you know, by by the month. So yeah, th- those shoes were a fiver, and I remember getting a pair, getting pairs of Shelto for a fiver and Pro model, the high top Shelto basically, and a, and then they were they were like ten pounds. Like what the fuck? Like this is weird? Like just <laughs> got up in prices a bit much, and then they disappeared. They just you couldn't get them, and then they came back god knows i think yeah we'd moved on to air ones or whatever by then but when they came back they were like 50 quid like it's not how much gazelles cost gazelles (laughs) cost five pounds but now they're like you know 80 or 90 pounds and not that you would skate in the in the non-skate ones but i mean fuck like those things are still on the shelves and they're still fashionable they're still cool because a bunch of really cool people made them desirable a long time ago you know it made made it desirable to well madonna started wearing them um that guy from chamiroquai who skated anyway um made horrible music but he started wearing them and obviously the beastie boys had them on um and then eventually your fucking oasis and everybody and you wonder how that kind of branch of adidas would have fared if it had not been for People getting some budget shoes, some sort of dead stock shoes, just to skate in, and these flat soled, brightly coloured shoes for five pounds. It's quite a
0: Venn diagram you just painted there, Madonna, yeah. Gallagher, J.K. You know Simon <laughs> Evans. But it is well, that that again, that was that was it converging, wasn't it? Like in in that time, as you in your timeline, that's the point. I guess we're talking like. Early to mid '90s, where there is a convergence of counterculture, sort of then becoming a bit, you know, and even something like Gavin writing for the Face would be a kind of emblem of that, like where where it does start to become, you know, this is almost like taken to two thousand two, isn't it? Really, like yeah where... for
1: for, to, for all the years up until two thousand two, like skateboarders or from say. I would think like '92 from Gazelles and things like that. Once or '93, once trousers started to calm down a little bit, and skateboard companies are actually making cut and sew stuff rather than just printing on blanks. Like that's when I felt living in a completely nondescript, interchangeable, shitty town. Like when people—that's when it went from people saying, ha-ha, look at you, you idiot!" to, "All right, mate, uh, where did you get those?" and that just continued. You know it's like wearing wearing a good pair of shell toes, a good pair of army trousers, and a good hoodie top like that looked dope then it looks dope now like it's just and that's because for me that's because of like I don't know like Peppy martinez you know that's because people made that stuff just unavoidably cool. It just looked so great on those people he's really stylish people at the time, these really stylish young men, like thousands of miles away many years ago, but that now, like, that's what I'll be wearing tonight, you know it's there's, people know it, all the best stuff comes from skateboarding but I think it just needs to be made really clear like, how all these cultural changes that people see globally how that's pretty much, you know massive amount of that's come from skateboarding
0: well, I'm going to read you the quote that I pulled out of your a piece somebody did with you that I can't quite remember, which I just loved because it it, it summed up this kind of butterfly effect that you're talking about. And the quote is: "There are going to be I wrote it down. There are going to be a few dudes out there in the 40s and 50s who have no idea how the way they laced their shoes up or wore their hat in 1990 affected the fashion choices of a load of kids five thousand miles away." And I mean, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Like that. That's that's the significance of this and kind of the idea at the center of what you're doing isn't it really like paying paying tribute to that that
1: yeah that is i think a good way not to say that my description is a good way but that you mentioning that's a good way of describing the value that these still photos have still that these images that we did stare at that we did see if you know if if you're if you're your shell toes like under over under over or you're doing it the other way you're doing it the cross way it's like well let's see like who, who who do i rate how are they lacing their shoes and that's what i would do i would you know i would want to look like Pepe or whoever i'll do my shoes like that and it's the photos that have those kind of points in them i think those identifiable just details, I guess, that that stuck in people's heads, the way that captions stuck in people's heads or, like, samples from tunes and videos stuck in people's heads. It's kind of like... Yeah, I, I think when people see a picture now that they've not seen for 30 years, I think it stands out so much because of how much that picture meant to them at the time. But if it meant that much to them at the time, then it's probably and they still care, then it's probably had some kind of impact on them one way or another throughout that time. You know, it's yeah. not like, uh I used to think Kareem was really cool. It's like, there's nobody, surely, that could say that, that that, that they used to think 90s Kareem was cool. It's like, you still do. You <laughs> should, because <laughs> well, look how cool that man was. Uh, like, kind of, um G- Gino or Keenan, obviously, like, these are... using us examples here but just maybe because they were the sort of first to do it and they had more coverage but these things have not stopped being amazing and beautiful to look at
0: so what have you got have you got an era can you pin it to it personally i'm talking about can you pin it to a picture for you like what you know like the the significance that we're talking about I'm guessing your era is like the early 90s, just from from the reference points we've been well, throwing mean, around.
1: It's Early 90s was the time, I guess, when I was soaking it up the most and having my eyes opened to, to it all. But then, I mean, I'm 45, yeah. So f- however old that would have made me in the early 90s. Um, but then in the late 90s, that's when you get a bit more money you're able to travel you're able to like actually get away you can you can buy more videos or skateboards or shoes and you can kind of you know being that little bit older you can kind of like discover who you are and allow yourself to be that person rather than thinking cool christmas is only four months away i wonder what board i'll get you know I wonder what what boards will be available at that time you know it's like there's no but then like you know, potentially my favourite UK photo ever might be Sam Ashley's photo of Karim's front shove from a cover sidewalk. It's everything about that photo just sums up like that time and space, and it's a time and space relatively recent, you know, in London, all that stuff still exists. You know, it's not like looking at it all teary-eyed. It's um got that one up behind me as well. I don't you probably can't see but I, can,
0: I, I can see that one yeah you I, know I can, the one anyway um, yeah and i can now see the now that we've got a clearer shot i can see the carl jersey as well cool and i, and I can also see your incredibly organized shoe rack which hmm. is giving me i can't believe i've never thought of stuck in my shoes that way before but i'm definitely going to do it
1: um, <laughs> and, and over the your left, over the your left are shoulder
0: over your left shoulder Are we i mean that's that's the archive isn't it like that's oh yeah the, yeah um, that's it so this is what i'm looking at here through the wonder of zoom is like a wall of meticulously by looks it organized box files so that is the, that is the archive right that is that's the set
1: that's magazines from the start of each title up to about 2004 everything after 2004 is in similarly meticulously arranged box files in the attic, with shoes as well. But these, again, like everything after two thousand and two, really, uh, definitely, I would say two thousand and four, has been digitized or is available one way or another. But this is everything pre pre that really uh, missing a few. I think missing six thrashers from the first year from nineteen eighty one. And we're weirdly, missing about a dozen or so issues of Kingpin. But other than that, I am pretty sure I've got every UK and US magazine.
0: Which is. Of,
1: of, of note, I mean, like, you know, there's things like Juice and Confusion and whatnot, like more recently that I don't, but yeah, out of the titles that most people would recognize.
0: Yeah. So you have literally, when you write in the book, you can reach around and grab a file, and you know what's going to be in there. You can like cross-reference things. That's like, I mean, if, it is. It's What What's the library classification thing? You know, it's like Dewey, it's,
1: Dewey Decimal System. Yeah, yeah. Like well, it is, isn't it? Like, I went through part of the planning, the the research. I guess for the book was going through every magazine of the book's timeline and noting down everything or typing out everything that should be mentioned or needs investigating or just for some reason or other needs revisited so it mean yeah i'm pretty able pretty much able to find anything between 87 to 2002 now just because of these probably needlessly complicated documents that i've got here but that kind of stuff's all piling up and while it's not a book about the magazines that definitely needs to you know it's definitely helping to create the timeline in terms of events and people coming and going and companies and videos existing wow i mean even that just <laughs> sounds like such a mission man
0: like it's I, I honestly can't wait to see it like when when on earth is this going to be finished is this going to be like uh you know i'm trying to think of a famously unfinished yeah right is this is this like uh what's this chops napoleon kubrick's napoleon right um a
1: it's i mean the the plan still is for the end of 2023 so a year in december coming out on palomino publishing that's that's definitely known but if it takes six months or it takes a year longer then so be it there's no if if there was going to be a a deadline for it then I would already be thinking that it's not going to be as good as it could be I would already probably be trying to cut bits out and find easier ways of doing it but as it is just now um as I'm sure Jamie Scott who took me around the northeast and set up a load of interviews which was amazing it was a massive help getting me kind of in to meet people that i possibly wouldn't normally people are not on instagram um it would yeah you know like that wouldn't happen i would probably just call up native and get the story from jackie from native and just like it just stuff that anybody could do if they had really nothing else going on if they had if they were able to commit the time to but no as as it stands it's going to take as long as it takes to be perfect um it's all i'm doing it's yeah it's not something i'm dipping in and out of while i'm doing other things it's not a hobby it's just now. it's just this massive massive obligation that i have signed myself up for but the fact that this doesn't exist has annoyed me i mentioned that to a few people and they said right well fucking you do it then and so. like it's, it certainly wasn't a case of "all right, I'll show you." It was kind of more like, "fuck, I probably should." Then I probably need to because the people I, I've asked who I thought might be up for trying to get this done have not. You know, they've, they've got jobs, they've got lives, they've got things to do. Um, so yeah, fallen on me, and yeah, gladly, I gladly, I yeah, say quit, quit my job, and this is. All I'm working on until it happens.
0: Well, like like you know, we talked about when we chat the other day. Like people have tried, haven't they? You know, people have Dan Dan tried with a, a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Like to try and, or maybe three, three years ago, to try and get the kind of read and destroy thing off the ground, and and then I think it's been talked about for years, hasn't it? But it's just it was always going to take somebody with, um you know, your unique set of Obsessional skills. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm only saying because that that's what I, I would say about myself. So,
1: put that in
0: my LinkedIn, <laughs> you know what I mean. Though, like somebody that would actually almost like dare to take it on because, uh, it's,
1: yeah, possibly, possibly equally that I'm already basically in touch with these people because yeah, of true. Instagram anyway. So. I don't need to go through. In in many cases, I don't need to go through somebody to get to somebody. I can just say hi. I I'm so and so, and I'm doing this thing. Would you be up for a chat? And yeah, so far, a hundred percent of people have been. Um, and it's a lot of people so far. There's, and it's you. Know, it's getting more and more. But it it makes it much easier, as mentioned before. Like when one person leads to another, um, like uh so many things I'd want to say, just kind of not give away. But <laughs> yeah, but you—you got to keep your powder dry, man. Yeah, yeah, right. Um There's like I—I I didn't think I would get uh, Chucky Burroughs the M Zone guy, because he's like a bit eccentric, and he lives in LA, and he's you know he's not been in London for for years, and the people who worked with him or around him you know it's like yeah the guy's a bit bit, bit of a character kind of thing but took a few goes but yeah got him and got his full side of the m zone story um via yeah his 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 home in los angeles just now which kind of tied up m zone in terms of having everybody that was involved apart from curtis of course i yeah. uh, but yeah that, that that was a good example of getting somebody kind of through somebody like i was able to say oh hi you know i'm friends of so-and-sos and and they said you might be up for this and it's like well if if you're a friend with so-and-so then okay what do you want sort of thing perfect so yeah that's how quite a lot of it's coming together which is pretty great as well like if that person's in it then this other person kind of should be because otherwise it would just be me writing about them and if I've not met them I don't know them and they are still alive and coherent then they should talk about themselves rather than it be me it's not me writing a book it's me in so much as i didn't take these photographs i didn't print these magazines i didn't do the trick you know it's just me it's not even me it's just this account that kind of channels the stuff from the magazines to people's eyes and that's what the book will be it will be all these stories that exist all these photos all these tales all these things that happened just passing through this person into this book that everybody can see
0: i mean it's so up my street because i you know i often on the looking sideways bingo card which somebody did send me once um of all the phrases that i overuse and one of those was it's a life's work in (laughs) it and like you know that's the same thing isn't it like everything that you've been into and that you've dedicated yourself to is culminating in this incredible outlet really and and like you say the 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 connections that you've made the people that you know because incidentally what i will say one of my favorite things about your instagram account is is the wholesome comment section whenever you post a picture and it's usually like the photographer will chime in the skater will chime in i think i remember seeing one where like steve caballero was like oh i've never even seen this picture you know it's like Mm. it's so great like that that level of community that, that and and it doesn't matter who where they are on the skate totem pole right they're just hyped and totally. stoked to see it and it's just great that i love that and you know that's that thing that is basically been created by you since you're doing quite a simple thing which is posting skate pictures is is, is yeah. a genuine is a genuine thing isn't it it's it's great so you must you must um, be stoked on that that, that, that all this I've, has led you to the, this project
1: I've, absolutely i mean I, i've i've kind of like archived myself into a corner now that this is what I (laughs) what I have to do but yeah like it it could be somebody tagging their mate like oh Dave that's that's you in that Sainsbury's car park in 1991 or as the case was uh Mickey Vukovic tagging Tony Hawk saying hey there's that picture that we shot that time and it doesn't really make a difference I don't think I don't think it should whether it's somebody pointing out to Tony Hawk or whether they're pointing it out to their mate who works in B&Q you know it's still if that person's not seen that photo for 35 years then fucking
0: yes they're gonna be stoked yeah <laughs> and
1: you know t- t- hopefully I mean maybe not Tony Hawk so much but hopefully Dave from B&Q will be showing his kids you know he's showing his wife or showing his mates down the pub or something it's like yeah I used to do the skateboard and look that's that time I was in a magazine and brilliant you know that's like brought that back for him
0: yeah so thanks so much man i really really enjoyed that so where can people who want to find out more um about what you do where should they go where should we direct them
1: probably uh, the there's a link to the website on the instagram bio uh, the instagram science versus life there's a, yeah a link there that goes to sciencefirstlife dot com which has got the I mean say press release it's not been sent to any press it's just was quite quietly placed up on on Instagram there um, on the internet there and there's a load of interviews that I've done that I like on that website as well like or links to them um, yeah the slam stuff primarily. the slam stuff the north stuff um, yeah. Uh, free various things gray yeah think, but, yeah they're uh, great mo- mo- most yeah. mostly the slam stuff yeah uh, yeah they're great uh, so that's kind of all those together thank you there's one coming up i wasn't going to do anything massive apart from the book but yeah there's something special coming up <laughs> via slam i right a little while
0: yep great
1: all mm. right I-, I thought you were gonna give me the scoop then what? nah <laughs> definitely not no god yeah touch wood as well well uh, let's do another one when it's out
0: let's uh, uh let's do it. let's do a follow-up
1: <laughs> totally we'll, we'll be we'll be floating in our anti-gravity chairs at that point so <laughs> I'll, I'll be
0: yeah two <laughs> years is suddenly quite a long time isn't well it? two
1: years uh hopefully yeah the pressure's on now i don't want to be just like sending a hologram of myself to talk to you so yeah mm. um yeah end of 2023 is a year and a half really but yeah it's it's probably going to be longer but now that the yeah there's kind of research stuff is out the way and that was painstaking that was genuinely laborious fishing out everything from every magazine but now it's just a case of speaking to every one of these people and then typing up every word that they tell me and then somehow assembling that into a book but it's it's, yeah, full steam ahead. Like it's happening. It's working out. There are chapters finished. There are bits almost finished. It's just it's gone from uh, it would be it, it would be a bit shit to give up on this. To there's absolutely no way this can now not happen. Like there's so much there already that it's definitely happening. Which yeah, is quite exciting to for me to have to acknowledge <laughs> yeah well it's out now you mm. know you you gotta do it that's it that was it no totally it's said it now
0: so there you go that was myself and neil and i hope you enjoyed it i'm sure you got the gist from the intro as to what that was going to be like and as i'm sure you can tell We thoroughly enjoyed ourselves while having that conversation. Um, So thanks, Neil, that was great. Um, You know, we've been chatting on Instagram for quite a while now, so it's really brilliant to finally meet you. And I am looking forward to that point in Brighton when you head down here to get the measure of Pig City. Uh, Make sure you follow Neil over at Science Versus Life on Instagram first and foremost, where you can find out more about what he does and get updates on the book. And if you're interested in a similarly inclined chin stroke fest around the history of surfing, I can recommend the aforementioned chat with Matt Warshaw and then you might want to follow that with the wavelength piss take from Dear Old Mundy and Evans um, on there, It's Not the Length podcast. The funniest thing about that, by the way, was that Paul Evans absolutely ripped me in that episode for using the adjective Sisyphean in that intro. In that intro. Imagine my surprise only a few months later to read one of Paul's articles and see the very same word being used in the intro. Funny that, eh? Imitation really is the sincerest form of flattery, as I believe they say. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode and my podcast generally. If this is the first time that you've listened to this, and I imagine there's probably a few people, given that Neil's a guest and he's got such a loyal following, um, why not head over to my website, www.wearelookinsideways.com, to check out the show notes, the archive. You can sign up to my 10 Things newsletter, which people seem to be enjoying at the moment. Or you can support what I do by donating, there's a link on the homepage, buying some merch, even buying a copy of my book, Looking Sideways Volume 1, which I wrote with my pal Owen Tozer, and which I would suggest is the best way of doing the support thing, Um, because you get a book at the end of it, um, which people seem to very much enjoy, and which was referred to by Chaz Smith on Beach Grit as a work of art, no less. Um, you can also obviously share this on social media, which is also very welcome. On the subject of paying for this, because this is free and it does take quite a lot of my time. As mentioned last time around, I'm actually going to start doing a few ads for the first time in the five years I've been doing this. Um, I've got an offer that I'm going to follow. I'm just trying to work out how to do it, really. Um, they do want a read, you know, they do want a link and I just need to work out how how to do that in a way that I'm happy with. Um, Over the five years I've been doing this, I've turned down all manner of ad offers. Um, But I think I'm going to give it a little go for a bit because, you know, could do with the money. And I've certainly put the hours in. And I do believe in the thing that I'm about to promote. So that's what I'm going to do, although hopefully in a much more interesting way than the usual bollocks you see on podcasts. Incidentally, if you're a brand and your interest has been piqued by this, and drop me a line at podcast at we are looking sideways.com. although not you, Manscaped. I don't care how good your pube choppers are. You've had my final answer. I'm not doing it. Um, one other option I've been mulling over is offering up a Housekeeping Corner sponsorship deal, although that tends to be not very safe for work, but it is an idea. But um onto Housekeeping Corner, which again, if you're not a regular is what this bit is called, which is very, very popular with listeners. Um, obviously the last couple of housekeeping corner proper have effectively been rants about the whole GB snow sport, GB surfing, Vicky Gosling situation. And one of the things I found most interesting about that was the feedback I received from a very, very close friend of mine who said she'd found the whole thing really unsavoury beneath me and um, too much like tittle-tattle and I was kind of coming across as a misogynist and a sexist. And um, I basically should make my case much more effectively if I want to be taken seriously. Which obviously gave me food for thought because this came from somebody I do really trust. Um, and I did think about it quite a lot. And I, I ended up just finding it a really fascinating insight into the way that power dynamics work really. Because at the time, and even now, um, I'm not going to go into the details again, but nobody's asked Vicky Goslin to prove her working um, when it comes to the cultural arguments that I'm making. Um, obviously, she has to prove her working from a UK sport, British Olympic Association funding um, realm, if you like. Sorry, struggling for the word there. But that's obviously the point which I've been making is quite different criteria than the type of way we in our community would measure the success or not of methods being used. Um, As I say, those methods, which have been fairly sweeping, um, I don't remember seeing anyone really asking Vicky Gosling to justify that scenario. Quite the opposite, in fact, as many of the give her a chance messages I received demonstrated. But the moment humble old me just pops up with some fairly mild criticism which is based upon situations that did actually happen and which has demonstrably resulted in damaging results, Um, suddenly the onus is on me to really prove my case if I want to be taken seriously, never mind the 30 years I've dedicated to this during my career or the 180-odd episodes and five years' worth of podcasts that set out my stall and intentions in this area fairly comprehensively. No, the person in the position of power gets the benefit of the doubt, while my mildly intemperate, albeit extremely subjective language, renders my entire argument redundant, apparently. I mean, I guess I was just surprised by the Toryism of that argument. You know, if you think about it, the Tories decimate the country for 40 years. But if Ian Blackford or Dawn Butler dares to call Boris Johnson a liar in Parliament, which has been proven, it's them that gets reprimanded for not playing the game correctly. Um, I mean, what a nation of absolute bootlickers we are. No wonder we end up with idiots like Nadine Dorries in charge of culture and Vicky Goslin merrily taking the scissors to our grassroots sideways culture. If the moment anyone even dares to raise an objection, that's the pushback you get. Well, know your place. You shouldn't really be saying that. Um, I just found it quite fascinating, really, that even people that I know are very, very level-headed liberal you know somebody who would would ju- that's the instinctive reaction you know like just are oh, it's a bit out of line that you shouldn't really should not we do that you know given the benefit of the doubt just kind of funny um on that note i have just had the uh report race representation index 2021 sent to me um this is a document which outlines um a survey that was taken to find out to basically score most of the national bodies in the UK um, around their commitment to racial representation, basically. So you know, there's there there were fifty two organisations approached to um, you know we're invited to fill in a form. I believe is what happened, um, which enabled the 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 um, sporting equals um, body to measure the like what? how much this work's being done. So England handball, British judo, England boxing, Swim England, I'm just reading from now, British triathlon, the Anglin Trust. Like I say, 52 bodies um, which were invited to take part in this. GB Snowsport, the organization I'm talking about, um, were at the bottom of the list, did not complete or did not respond to the uh, request to participate in that i just leave that there um perhaps as an indication of the way that that organization is being run um because that's not that encouraging really is it anyway the good news is that a journalist i know and trust who is right across this story is currently working on the type of dispassionate actually journalism piece that i have got neither the patience nor the neutrality for Um, on this entire story. So when that is done, I will be posting about that probably on my newsletter and social. You can find me instantly at We Look Sideways. All right, that's it for this week. I promise Housekeeping Corners will get a bit less dickish in future. But in the meantime, I'll be back with another episode soon. Nice one.